I wanted you to see the beautiful picture I brought this morning. Isn't that beautiful? Looks like it could have come right out of Genesis chapter 1, right? Creation, the sky, the sea, the land, the birds of the air, the animals, the fish of the sea. Isn't that beautiful? Let's, let's, let's look and see. Let's look and see. Oh, dear. That's not what it's supposed to look like. 750 pieces, fully interlocking pieces. Not so much, I guess. Well, what can we do? Well, I guess we could roll up our sleeves and start putting the pieces back together so the picture looks like it's supposed to, right? Just like you and I are supposed to do in this world as believers in Christ. You do realize that we live in a broken world, don't you? And we live around broken people, and and we live sometimes with broken people. And we know what the picture is supposed to look like. We are created in the image of God. We know what life is supposed to look like. God describes it for us in his word. This is what life should look like. And yet the picture is broken. And it's overwhelming when we look around us and see all the brokenness. But here's the good news. And we need good news this morning, right? Here's the good news. The good news is that Jesus puts broken people back together. Is that good news? Hey, can we have a little talk this morning before I go on? Y'all know Jim Belton is gone, right? You know Jim Belton is gone, right? What does that mean? Somebody's going to have to take his place or I'm not going to be able to preach. All right? Okay, that's good. (laughs) Somebody please email Jim and tell him that. Oh, true enough, though, it is good news this morning that Christ puts broken people together. And so you and I roll up our sleeves and we go out into this world and we partner with Christ and the power of Christ to, to, to put the brokenness back together. That's what I want us to talk about this morning as we come to Acts chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles with you, I ask you uh, to open to Acts chapter 3. And when you found your place there, I'm going to ask you to stand. And we are going to honor the word of the Lord by standing as we hear it read this morning. Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, this is the word of the Lord. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate, called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. 
And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word always, always. Father, we give you thanks for loving us enough to reveal yourself to us, to tell us the truth through your word. So we pray now, Spirit of God, that you would join the truth that is your word. And that even in this time, you would be healing brokenness and putting broken people and broken situations back together. And that you would inspire us, Lord, to go out into the world and to do the same thing with the good news of the gospel. Convince us of that, we pray, as we come to your word now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. May be seated. Well, if anyone, if anyone deserves a bump in the polls after the Republican and the Democratic National Conventions, it's Jesus. Honestly, I mean, really, he is so other than and different from anything that you and I have witnessed. Scripture says, and we know Jesus to be full of grace and full of truth. Where did we see either of those qualities? In either convention or either candidate. Jesus Christ, the true hope of the world. Where did we see true hope? In either convention or either candidate. Instead, what did we see? Brokenness exposed before us. Brokenness in both parties. Brokenness in both candidates who then stand up and say to us, Vote for me and I will fix the brokenness. Doesn't tend to inspire hope in us, does it? It's only because God is sovereign. It's only because God always has and always will place rulers on the throne and remove them from the throne. It's only because God always has and always will use those leaders to accomplish his purpose. It's only because God always has and always will use the decisions they make to impact the church so that we most effectively get the gospel out into this broken world. It's only because all those things are absolutely true that I can laugh at the irony of what we've seen the past few weeks and be filled with hope instead of full of despair. More than ever, more than ever, we must believe that the only hope for brokenness comes from the Lord Jesus Christ comes from the gospel and how you and I as the church apply that gospel first to our own lives and then to the world in which we live. And that's what should be clear to us, I pray, as we come to Acts chapter 3 this morning. The passage that we've read describes the very first miracle performed by the new church after Jesus has returned to heaven. In a physical way, they're now on their own. Jesus is with them spiritually, but physically, he's no longer with them. It's not the first miracle performed, but it's the first one that we know anything about. Look with me back in chapter 2, verse 43. It says there that everyone, and that refers to the members of the church, everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. But you see, these signs and wonders aren't described for us. We don't know what they were. So as the Holy Spirit inspired the writing of Scripture, he decided that this miracle in Acts chapter 3 is the first one 
that we should really know about. Why? Why this miracle and not some other? You know, the first recorded miracle of Jesus was turning water into wine. So the first recorded miracle of the church could have been other than it was. But it's not. On purpose, the first recorded miracle is the healing of this lame beggar. Scripture tells us the secret things belong to God, so we don't really know why it is this way. But certainly we can do this. We can look at this miracle before us and realize that in putting it very first, that it should stand out to us. It should stand out to all God's people of all time that the first miracle described is one of Jesus bringing healing to a broken world. Right? And if we allow it to do so, this miracle can align us in our thinking as a church. It can help us set right priorities. It can require us to ask hard questions about ourselves. Where are are our priorities? Where does fixing the brokenness in the world fit into our agenda as a church? And when we hopefully determine that we must bring hope and healing through the gospel, that this is in fact the task to which God has committed the church, then we've got to ask, how are we going to bring healing through the gospel? How are we going to bring healing through the gospel? Well, let's look at the miracle to answer that question. Look again in verse 1 and 2. It says there, one day, Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Now we're not going to get into why. It is that a crippled man would have to sit at the gates of the temple and beg for money from God's people who are going into God's house to pray, to worship, and sacrifice. But we know enough from our study of Deuteronomy. Did I mention we're going back to Deuteronomy? We're going back to Deuteronomy. We know enough from our study that this is not how God intended it to be. We know from our study there that God commands that widows, orphans, strangers in the land, and most certainly those who are lame should be cared for by God's people. But that's not what the puzzle looks like when all the pieces are, are, are put together. Not in this world, not at this time. And this lame man at the temple gate reminds us, we don't have the picture right. There's real brokenness in the world. And so verse 1 tells us that one day, Peter and John encounter this brokenness. One day. Which day? It could be any day. A routine day in which Peter and John were going about their routine schedule. Oh, it's three o'clock. It's time to go to the temple and pray. When I taught school, man, my life ran on bells. First period bell, second period bell, third period bell. And then we longed for 310 because that was the day, the bell that rang and school was out. We all have routines in our lives. We have rhythms in our lives. And as much as we may wish otherwise, most of our lives, most of the time, 
are pretty routine, aren't they? But this miracle reminds us that that's exactly where the gospel belongs, right at the center of our routine lives. One day, any day, Peter, who speaks to this crippled man, writes in the first letter that he writes, 1 Peter chapter 3, he writes this command. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Always be prepared. You don't know when you might encounter a beggar at the gate. Be prepared. Someone at the water cooler may ask you, so what did you think about those conventions? Always be prepared to tell people why you as a believer have hope. I think it's a command for you and for me not to be flippant about the gospel. Not to take it for granted. Not to assume that we understand it in its fullness. Oh yeah, the gospel, I believed that 20 years ago when I got saved. Prepare yourself with the gospel. As you prepare yourself in other areas of life. When all five of our children were home, Kathy and I never once called out, come and get it. When the table wasn't set and when the lasagna had another hour to bake. Why? Well, despite the fact that my children are all wonderful, they would not have sat silently at the table for an hour, angelically, hands folded in their laps, heads bowed in prayer, waiting an hour for the food to be served. I don't think we need to describe what that scene would have really looked like. Adam. Always knew just the look to give Claire to make her scream. But then again, most any look would make Claire scream. But wait a minute, I'm doing what I said I wouldn't do. But the point is this. Peter, who encouraged this beggar at the gate, is commanding us as believers to prepare ourselves to prepare ourselves to serve the gospel to others, just as we would prepare to serve them a meal, thinking through the fullness of the gospel and all its implications for every situation, so we can, in a meaningful and relevant way, say this is how the gospel applies at this moment in life. We never know who we will encounter or what we will encounter in the course of a routine day. And so scripture calls us to be ready with the gospel, ready to show the hope of the gospel. And so here at least is part of the answer. If we're asking, how can we bring healing to a broken world? Here's the answer. Be prepared. You and I as believers in Christ know the gospel and be prepared to offer it as a source of hope for everyone we encounter. Secondly, Another vital part of answering that question is also in this passage. And that's that God's people must look at brokenness. God's people must look at brokenness. It isn't enough for us to acknowledge that brokenness exists. Oh, yeah, I know the world's broken. I know there's poverty. I know there's violence. I know there's racism. No, we've got to be willing to look right at the brokenness if we ever hope to be able to fix it. That's what Peter and John did. Look at the detail that Luke provides for us in verse 4. It says there that Peter looked straight at the beggar 
as did John. Peter and John intently stare at this man. They fix their gaze on him. That's what the word means in Greek. It's a, it's a very strong word. And it means the very opposite of a fleeting glance. See, a fleeting glance allows you to pass by something quickly, right? And with less guilt because, well, you didn't really see. Oh, really? I didn't see how bad that was. Or at best, a fleeting glance allows you to drop a few coins or a dollar in the container of the beggar and keep moving without really looking at the brokenness. This passage tells us that's not what Peter and John did. And it's not what we should do either. They looked without diverting their eyes right at this broken man and they took it all in. And because they were part of that culture, along with this, this beggar, they saw the complexities of this man's brokenness that you and I might miss as we read the account of it. Brokenness is complex. Brokenness has tentacles that reach out and entwine themselves around many areas of our lives. It's not as if this man can just be broken for eight hours a day. Okay, I'll go beg for eight hours and then I'll go home and I'll relax and and then I'll go beg some more the next day. No, his physical brokenness obviously led to economic brokenness. He had to beg. His physical brokenness led to social brokenness for him. If he had a network of friends or family, then why would he have to beg every day? His physical brokenness led to spiritual brokenness. Because he was lame, because he was crippled, he was never allowed to worship in the temple. And so this man has all the bases covered when it comes to brokenness. You know, social, relational brokenness, economic brokenness, spiritual brokenness. And when you and I want to give real hope and real help through the gospel... We've got to look at brokenness in all its complexity. It's rarely isolated to one area of a person's life. It impacts so much of it. For instance, poverty isn't isolated to just poverty. Poverty can lead to crime to alleviate the poverty. And so the poor person goes to prison where they become a hardened criminal. But being a thief wasn't the real source of their brokenness in the first place. Being poor was. I suppose the character Jean Valjean in Les Miserables is the literary archetype of this brokenness. A noble man who steals a loaf of bread to feed his sister's starving children is sent to prison for 19 years. And when he's released, it's with a yellow passport so that everyone will always know this man is a criminal. And so what does he do? He steals again. Poverty can lead to medical problems because of a a poor diet or the unavailability of good health care, though a broken body wasn't really the first brokenness. Poverty was. Poverty can lead to psychological depression and despair, but then the opposite is true as well, isn't it? Psychological brokenness can lead to an inability to keep a job, which can lead to poverty, which can lead to crime. So the point is this. We should not look, we should not be looking for an easy fix for brokenness. Or simple solutions because the tentacles of brokenness can be so far-reaching and entwining. And so when someone responds to brokenness, and by someone I mean evangelical Christians, when we say, well, if he would just 
fill in the blank. Well, if she would just do this, fill in the blank, then they wouldn't be so broken. When you haven't really looked at or lived in brokenness, it's easy to offer simple answers. And so you and I have to be very, very careful how we respond to brokenness. We can't believe that, that, that we can recite the gospel like some magic incantation and all will be well. Oh, believe in Jesus and then walk on by. I think Jesus would be appalled. Jesus, the one who so compassionately healed the sick and fed the hungry and gave a widow her son back, I think he would be appalled at that lack of looking and that lack of engagement with the complexities of brokenness. The gospel is not just words spoken. The words of the gospel represent the truth that that Jesus lived out so that hope can be given and lives can be changed. So it's complex. And we prayerfully ask, Lord, how can I apply the good news of the gospel to the complex brokenness at which I'm looking in this moment? If we want to see Jesus put broken people back together with the good news of the gospel, then you and I first have to be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. Secondly, we need to be willing to look straight at the brokenness. And thirdly, we must call the broken to look at us. Look in verse 4. After Peter and John look at this broken man, Peter says, to the, to the beggar, look at us, exclamation point. And why did Peter say that? I don't think it's so that the beggar would look up and say, oh, well, you guys look pretty shabby. You're pretty poor. Never mind. I won't ask you for money. No. I believe Peter says that because Peter knows that when this lame man looks at him, he'll be looking at another broken man who the Lord put back together. You know, when you look at Peter... Really, you've got to have hope in Jesus and in his ability to put people back together. You know, it wasn't so many months ago that Jesus had to respond to Peter's arrogance by saying, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Peter was broken, even when he thought he was strong and bold. It wasn't so many months ago that Peter vehemently denied three times that he even knew Jesus. How easily Peter did what he proclaimed he would never do. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. But he did. Even when he thought he was strong and bold, Peter was broken. And after that third denial, Scripture says that Jesus turned and looked straight at Peter. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. I wonder if that's where where Peter learned to look because of the way Jesus had looked at him. And so whether the beggar knows it or not, Peter is aware of just how much Jesus has done to put him back together. And that's the good news, right? Jesus did fix Peter, right? He forgave him. He restored him. He commissioned him. Go, feed my sheep. And so when Peter says, look at us, Peter's being transparent. He's being open with this man. He he calls the beggar to look at him because Peter's already looked at himself. He was a broken man who experienced what Jesus can do for broken people. 
It's been said that sharing the gospel is just simply one poor beggar telling another poor beggar where he found bread. And when we look at ourselves honestly and openly and transparently, we'll be much more likely to want to help other people because we see that we are broken as they are broken. When we don't look at ourselves honestly, and it's hard to do in American evangelical churches where everything is supposed to be beautiful. When we don't look at ourselves honestly and openly and transparently, when we don't see our own brokenness that Jesus is fixing, then we'll only judge others. Those who know their own weaknesses and failures are compassionate toward others. And so when Peter says, look at us, he knows he's calling the beggar to look at two men who have been reduced, who have finally learned it's all about Jesus, who believe this, in Christ alone my hope is found. That's it. What do people see when they look at you? What do they see when we, they look at me? People are going to see what we value the most. And so if we value things, we're going, going to want people to fix their attention on the things that we have. You know that story. If we value a certain type of character, we want them to know just how it is that we got where we are. We want them to see someone who is able, who is competent, a real go-getter, someone who's well put together, someone who is successful. If that's what we value, that's what people will see when they look at us. But when we value Christ above all things, he is who people will see when they look at us. They will hear in our words that we value Christ above all things. They'll see that we bear the marks of the spirit of Jesus, love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's what they'll see when they look at us, when we value Jesus above all else. And they will see that you and I have come to understand as Peter and John came to understand. In Christ alone, our hope is found. That's going to be shocking to people, unexpected, because most people do believe the lie of the world that says Jesus might be okay for some, keeping here in this room, but really, come on, we need real help for real problems. Did you watch the convention? That's what the beggar thought. I need real help for real problems. So look in verse 5. So the man, the beggar, gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. He wanted real help for his real problems, right? Money, that's what I need. But he didn't get what he expected from the man who knows where the help for brokenness comes from. And so Peter puts it very plainly before this beggar, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. So here is hope for Peter and for this beggar. It's Jesus. I'm nothing great, is what Peter's saying. I'm reduced. It isn't me. It's Christ in me. He is what I have to give to you. 
So those who don't really believe that Jesus is enough for really fixing the brokenness, look in verse 7. Taking him by the hand, Peter helped the lame man up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. How good it is of the Lord to demonstrate in the infancy of the church that he can bring healing to broken people. He can put broken people back together. That's the message of this first recorded miracle performed by the church. Jesus can heal the broken. Jesus put the crippled man back together physically. He walked. He jumped. Spiritually. Where did he go? As soon as he walked and jumped, he went to the temple courts, a place he had never been in his life because of his brokenness. And what did he do when he got there? He praised the Lord because Jesus healed him physically and spiritually. And so here is our hope. And here is our hope for us and for our world and for our country. We need hope. And our hope is in Christ alone. Of course, we know that the miracles, as we've read here this morning, they're not normative for the church. These miracles were highly important in the infancy of the church as God was confirming who Jesus is. Yes, this is who Jesus is. And as God was establishing the church by which he intends for his kingdom to come on earth, but the truth is nevertheless the same, Jesus can heal the broken. And if you and I are not convinced of that, really, we'll never convince anyone else of it either. And the pieces will just lay, lie scattered on the floor. But if we believe Jesus can do what he says he can do, if we believe that he can put people back together, then we'll prepare ourselves. We will know Jesus so intimately that we were all that we're always ready we're always prepared to offer him his hope for brokenness if we believe that Jesus can put broken people back together we won't be afraid to look at at brokenness and, and to engage with it because we'll know you know we don't carry this burden of fixing it alone it's Christ it's the gospel who can put broken people back together if we believe the gospel is true and that Jesus heals the broken we won't be afraid to look at our own brokenness but we'll constantly be looking to Jesus to put us together and to keep us together. Jesus is our hope. He's the only hope for the world. He's the only one who can put the pieces together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is such good news, good, good news that comes to us from your word this morning. Not a story not a fable, but a true event described here, Lord, of your mighty power to heal this man, both physically and spiritually. Pray, Lord, that you would convince us now in this moment where we doubt that you are truly the only one who can put the pieces back together. The world tells us we're silly for believing such things, Believe that stuff if you want, but here now we need real help and real hope. No, 
You are the only hope for the world. We're your people. So convince us of that truth so that we take the gospel out of this place into a world that so desperately needs healing. And keep that truth in here among us too, Lord. Even in this room, there are people who desperately need healing. There's brokenness among us because in all of us, Lord, there's sin. And we may be going to other places for healing, running here, running there first, instead of coming to you first. Lord, you're the first stop for the broken. And then you so graciously provide other people in our lives and other things in our lives to to restore us. And we thank you for that. But Lord, our first stop must always be you as the one who can heal and restore and renew. So Lord, once again, many times we've been silent and quiet this morning. We're gonna do it one more time. Have some quietness to reflect. So Lord, where there's brokenness, I pray that people will turn to you now in this moment. Lord, if there are people here this morning who are hopeless because they have no relationship with you, pray that your spirit would be working in their hearts to know the gospel, to believe the gospel, that you came to earth, that you died on the cross for sin, that we confess our sin, you are able to forgive us, to cleanse us, to make us new, and to take us to heaven. That's our hope. So, Lord, if there are people who are living in despair because they have no hope, even in this moment, Lord, I pray that you'd be turning their hearts to you. Thank you now that you hear the prayers of your broken people as we come to you.